This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, I am going to, this is probably bad news for many of our listeners, but I have a chit-chat topic for today that does what? not involve the farm. Why so is that for, for those people who tune in to hear these stories for the farm, you're going to have to come back next week. <laughs> and uh, I, rest assured, we will have a story from the farm. And well, perhaps... Don't say that. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope so. And I, wood, it's a good one. As I was editing a podcast this morning, I just kept noticing the soundtrack of the show has just evolved to chickens in the background now. <laughs> and yeah. it's like we don't even notice it while it's happening. Or I don't, I don't think I notice it. But when I'm editing, it's like, wow, there's a chicken right there. <laughs> I have a funny story to tell, and it's not the chit-chat. It's a chit-chat bonus, but I was on a customer service call a couple days ago, and um, I forget what it was for, but I could tell from listening to the person's voice. You know how so much stuff is outsourced, right? And a lot of it comes from the Philippines or Mm -hmm. India or whatever, but um, I, I heard chickens in the background of my customer service call, and I just started laughing, and I was like, those are chickens, and and you're working from home, aren't you? And the girl was like, yeah, and I was like, so what country are you? And she's like, I'm in the Philippines. And I, to me, I just, that, that image is stuck in my brain now of someone in the Philippines with chicken outside their window, <laughs> trying to manage customer support for a company inside the United States. And I was like, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> that did you, did you share your experience as a podcaster with chickens no, in the background? No, 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 no. I just thought it was funny. Well, you, re- you will no doubt remember this, and hopefully some of our listeners will as well. Where we first met uh, in person was at BoucherCon last year yeah. in Dallas. Yep. And one of the other things that I did while I was at BoucherCon was to have dinner with this group of old guys. Um, There's a lot of them. Not <laughs> unlike <laughs> myself. And some of whom I knew most of whom I knew, one of whom I didn't know. But the topic got around to old paperback novels. And, you know, someone would start talking about a book and everyone at the table had read the book. And it would, you know, it might have been back in the 70s or something. And I could never remember the titles, but I could remember the story and I could remember the covers. And it was fun. And somebody at the table turned me on to this podcast called Paperback Warriors. And there, the concept of the show is essentially that these guys love old pulp paperback mysteries and thrillers. That's just their thing. They travel around the country buying them. Um, they don't try and buy them and resell them for the most part. They just buy them and keep them. They're very attracted by covers, so they talk a lot about the cover. And then they'll tell the story of an author. Um, and they'll, they'll research the author, try and find a, a family member if the author's no longer living, and get information about the author. And I was listening to a podcast the other day while I was running, and 
I can't remember the author's name, but he had he was a very well known author at the time, a writer of pulp paperback paperback originals back in the sixties. He was also a famous decorator, so he made his money by being a decorator, and he was like sort of a decorator to the stars kind of person. But he loved writing. He loved books. That's he fun. loved writing, yeah. and so he wrote the first book in this. Or he wrote a paperback original about uh, a guy in Chicago. Um, I, I don't know if it was a PI or he was a newspaper man or what happened. No, he was a PI, and he, you know, it was, it was just a, it was a good mystery, and it sold really well, like shockingly well, millions of copies, wow. and it stunned everyone, including the author and the publisher. And the publishers like, we hope you have another one of these because we can sell it right away. And, oh, by the way, he did. So he delivered that book not, not much long afterwards, and none of, the, none of the book took place in Chicago. The character was no longer a P.I. He was now an international spy, and it was all explained <laughs> by, well, we didn't tell you this in the first book, but, you know, our main character before he became a P.I. was a spy, and he's an international traveler and jet setter, and they're right. off with the story. Okay, what's the real story behind that? Well, I mean, the real story was that he had this other book that he'd written that was an espionage novel, and, you know, it was just there, and they said, do you have something? And it's like, yes, I do. And I'll, I'm going to change some names, <laughs> add a paragraph, and here it is. Uh, the second book did not sell as well as the first, but the third book fell back in line with the first book, and it went on to be a six-book series that sold very well. And I, with, I found that... that one book is an anomaly that just kind of was out of... out of wasn't synchronized with the rest of them? Yes. And when Taylor and I were talking about the topic of the show, I'm like, I've got to tell this story because I, I got such a kick out of it. And that leads directly to our topic for today, which is character consistency. And as you can see in this story, where we go from a Chicago PI to an international man of mystery, there was not a lot of consistency between books one and two, but then there was consistency in books three through six. That's crazy. That's, I don't think you could pull that off in this day and age at all. It couldn't happen. But it's, it's, I could see why it would happen. Someone would try, but it wouldn't go over very well. <laughs> so how are we going to tackle character consistency? All right. Well, we're not talking about like completely throwing a curveball at your readers like that. I want to talk about consistency of, consistency of character, but we're just boiling it down to character consistency. So... Um, when we talk about writing fiction, we have to look at it not as a single process, but as like two separate processes that are fully intertwined. So we've got two completely skill sets, two completely separate skill sets. We've got the word craft, which is the writing side of it, which is what most people think about when they're like, is my writing good or not, whatever. And then we've got story craft, which is the story itself. And we've talked before about how story is even more important than writing, whatever. So each of these two halves of the whole, right, each one is supported by three legs. you got six legs, basically. Nearly every issue you run up against in writing fiction, whether it's an issue with the story or an issue with the writing, it's going to fall under one of those six legs, three that prop up one half, three that prop up the other. And on the story side, those three legs are plot, conflict, and character. 
And if one of those three legs comes up short, then the story side is going to wobble or even collapse completely, and that's going to take down the whole book. So that's sort of like a, a bullet point explanation refresher on why we keep coming back to some of these specific issues and focusing on them from different angles. And today, in talking about character consistency, we are focusing on the character leg of story. And that's just to remind you why it's so important, right? So today I want to talk about consistency of character or character consistency and what that is and why it matters and how to build it and then maintain it through your story. So character consistency. What is character consistency? So at its very basic, this thing, nebulous idea or whatever, it's the unified result of how your character thinks and feels and reacts, and it's the glue that holds the character together that shows your reader who your character is, right? Um, because all we know as readers is what shows up on the page. There's no, um, there's there's nothing else. It's it's like a legal document that is contained within the four corners. Whatever's in there is in there, and anything you say on the side doesn't count, right? So that's how it is for our characters. We only know what we're being shown on the page. So why does character consistency matter? Well, to understand why it matters so much, we are going to have to first take a step back and look at human behavior, okay? So on the whole, as human beings, we are primed for pattern recognition. And so much so that the human brain will often seek out and find patterns where they don't exist. And I'm not talking about when we fall into like a mental illness or, you know, we've seen portrayed on TV and in, in movies like The Beautiful Mind where you have paranoid, um, par uh, paranoid schizophrenia where, you know, they start drawing all these fanciful conclusions. You know, that's like the extreme, extreme end. I mean, people who are not even suffering from anything, uh, debilitating like that, they're still going to find patterns where patterns don't exist because we're so primed to seek out patterns. And there's research um, that indicates that it's that pattern processing, like a superior level of pattern processing that is what essentially makes the human brain this evolved thing separate from other brains. We have this amazing ability to find and, and seek out patterns. And so for an example of what pattern recognition looks like for us on day to day, I'll just quote you something from Google University, which is basically spatial positioning in the environment, remembering findings, detecting hazards and resources to increase the chance of survival are all examples and of the application of pattern recognition. Right? So this is built into us. Pattern recognition is a survival mechanism. And part of this survival mechanism means that we're really quick to spot stuff that doesn't fit the expected pattern. And that's going to carry over into the way that we react and behave around other human beings. And we are instinctively put off by and do not trust people who are inconsistent or unpredictable. And even more than that, we get anxious and we want to get away from unexplained erratic behavior. Our 
biological, evolutionary, primal brainstem is telling us erratic, unpredictable, run, get away, right? So all of that to say, just going about the regular course of our daily lives, we pick up on inconsistent and erratic behavior. And when we do, we feel a need to distance ourselves from it. And this is also true when it comes to the reader-character relationship. That is why character consistency matters. So, because when we are building our characters, we are trying to pull our readers into the story, not make them feel uncomfortable and want to get away from the story. And this is a completely different type of uncomfortable that's brought on by, say, horror or psychological twistiness or anything like this. That deals with one aspect of it. But if it's deliberate, then people who are looking for that kind of um, vicarious thrill, they're still going to, they're going to want to be there, but it's, it's going to repel them if it doesn't follow the laws that our brains are primed to either seek or reject, right? So when it comes to fictional people, on the, the ones that we're creating in our work, see, even the nicest, the most enjoyable person that you created is going to become subconsciously repellent to the reader if their thoughts and their behaviors aren't consistent, if they don't follow the patterns that we've come to expect from somebody of that type of person, right? And this doesn't have anything to do with good guy versus bad guy or likable versus unlikable characters. It is just as applicable to the most despicable villain or at least villains that are more than just straw men or, you know, cardboard cutouts as it is to the hero. And as I think about this, I find there's an interesting sort of aside to it or, or a reverse corollary or however you want to call it in that when you create inconsistent villains, like villains with who are inconsistent in character, they become, will come across as less as unconquerable foes and more as sad and bumbling. And if your hero can only be as formidable as the villain, we've had lots of discussions about this, then even a fantastic hero can be inadvertently undone by a villain who's inconsistent. So inconsistent and erratic behavior is how psychopathic and narcissistic behaviors display cruelty and exercise control over others. And inconsistent and erratic behavior is often an outward sign of a character dealing with a mental health crisis. So it's not that you can never have inconsistent characters. It's that inconsistency and erratic behavior speaks to specific types of characters. And you're not going to want your hero to come off as a psychopath, or maybe you do, I don't know, but you need to understand how that works, right? That, that if, you're going to, if your character shows signs of inconsistency, um, if their character is, their, their behavior is sort of all over the map and, and not adhering to what you're intending to show, then they're either going to they're going to put the reader on edge because the reader is going to feel like 
something's wrong. It's that same pattern-seeking behavior is triggering us to go, oh, this isn't right, and, and we're, uh, we want to get away from it. So even with, like, psychopathic narcissistic characters or characters who are dealing with mental health crises, um, there are still consistencies. Those inconsistencies are grounded in consistency. So um, with psychopath, for example, you might not be able to predict what they're going to do or say in any given situation. That's what makes... Um, that's what gives it that psychological edge that I was just talking about, where people will will go into this sort of creepy uh, or uh, like a horror story or, you know, a psychological thriller or whatever that you're dealing with these mind games. It's, it's the unpredictability of what this character is going to do that gives it that twist. But there's still a consistency in it in the sense that if you're dealing with a psychopath, there's a consistency in that psychopath's inability to empathize, empathize with suffering. And so even if, for example, unpredictably, that psychopath intends to be kind, predictably, the best you can hope for is an absence of deliberate cruelty. So even in the inconsistencies and unpredictability, you still know you're getting something that's not right. If you have a character who is a psychopath who has genuine empathy sometimes, but not others, you've got a mess on your hands. And readers are just going to be like, what the bleep? And it's going to be really hard to maintain whatever storyline you're going after, maintain that character con consistency, right? So I wanted to do a practical show and tell on this because it can be difficult sometimes to understand these types of concepts without concrete examples to go on. And so to do this show and tell, I'm going to borrow from notes that I wrote to Steve when I was doing an analysis on the story project he's been working on. And Steve has been gracious enough to allow me to share it here. Um, and I want to be really clear that when I did this analysis, I was treating his work the same way I would have if it was mine. And not me as a baby writer way back when I was writing the information. It's me as I write now with all the expectations that I have for myself with over a decade of not just writing experience, but uh, the experience of breaking down and analyzing story and figuring out what works and what doesn't. So I've, I've offered these types of disclaimers before. Steve likes to make fun of me for them. <laughs> but I have to say it again that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go into a detail of stuff that's not working in a story. But that doesn't mean his story didn't work. It means it didn't work to the level that I write at now. And if you've read my critiques of The Informationist or The Innocent, then you know that even those books don't meet my standards or expectations for now. So you just got to take that for what it's worth and, and sort of put it into context. So the reason that I wanted to crib from this particular analysis that I did for him is because it hits on three specific areas that I think personally um, are going to be core to any character development and and the the consistency that's required and and what it needs what it takes to maintain that consistency because they deal with uh, emotional responses they deal with relationships and they deal with character values so um, as I've told you guys before my notes are sometimes rough when I'm writing to him they're you know all full of grammar errors and whatever so I'm just cribbing right from that so take it for what it is but it's a little bit long so I'm just going to read it so. I told him there are three basic, three main things that I thought were giving his character Reggie a sense of inconsistency, and they were emotional responses. Several times throughout the story, Reggie has severe emotional response, a severe emotional response to something that upsets him in a way that feels more extreme than the circumstances 
warrant. So in one, he wants to hit something. In another, he goes into a bit of a fugue state where he's sort of unaware of his surroundings. And in several, he needs to calm himself down and breathe deep. And the issue is not the extreme emotional responses in themselves, and it's not the number of them, but rather that they are not consistent. They're never triggered by the same thing twice. And more importantly, there is nothing, no connecting emotional thread or theme that links them together or that links them to him. They are all one-off random sort of situations. And this would be fine if Reggie was a hot-headed guy who easily flew off the handle, but he's not. He's been deliberately established as a low-key guy, easygoing, not much of a temper, just trying to keep each day as stress-free as possible. And so for a character like that, this means that for something to get him angry and push him to the point of wanting to hit something or to disassociate with his surroundings, the thing has to not only be a really big freaking deal, it has to be personal. It has to connect to his past pain or trauma, which Reggie does not have. And I'm highlighting that out here because this is a universal thing that applies far more than just to the specific scenario. If a character is going to have an, a strong emotional response to something, something more than just thinking about it or breaking it down, something that triggers phys phys a desire for physical violence or physical violence or um, and the necessity of calming themselves down or whatever. It's a, it's a strong emotional response, right? It has to somehow be personal to them. It has to mean something to them. It has to connect on a deeper level. In this case, I said through past pain or trauma because of the situation. It doesn't mean that every character has to connect through past pain or trauma that's personal to them, but there's going to be something that triggers it beyond just the normal human ability to empathize or the human, the common human things of, you know, shame, anger, frustration, rage, love, desire to protect all of those, right? It's going to go beyond that. It's going to hit something deep, core, jealousy, uh, you know, childhood insecurities, uh, being made fun of as a kid and being told you were stupid. I mean, we all have these types of triggers. So showing things that will cause us to, to really get upset in a way that doesn't seem rational to anybody else. Um, and often we don't even know what it is that's driving those emotional responses. But when you're writing a fictional character, you have to know what it is. And it has to show up there on a page in a way that you maybe doesn't always show up in real life. So uh, continuing this explanation here, um, so Reggie does not have that past pain or trauma. His trauma, as it exists, pertains to his time in the war. We get a sense he's had therapy due to the things he says his therapist said, but we don't know why he saw a therapist. And without further explanation, without, with only the details on the page to work with, the only emotional responses Reggie has that will make sense in terms of what we know of his character are those that relate to war, conflict, battle, etc. And some of those do show up in the story, 
but I'm not highlighting them here because they are not inconsistent to his character because we understand why he's doing what he's doing. Most, but here I continue the explanation, but most of Reggie's um, severe emotional responses aren't related to war. And so because we have no personal connection between him and the thing that is happening, these types of emotional responses feel very over the top, forced and heavy handed. And because they arrive in response to different triggers, it makes it hard to understand who he is or what makes him tick. Now, to be clear, there are two separate but intertwined issues going on here. First, we're missing the emotional personal reasons that would give meaning or sense to these severe emotional responses he's having. And second, the things that are triggering these emotional responses are all over the map. There's no consistency in them. So this is not meant to say that he should only have emotional responses to a limited number of things, but it is meant to say that his emotional responses to everything needs to be in an appropriate measure to that thing. And if he's going to have a severe emotional response, then there needs to be a reason for it. And that reason has to matter to him personally in a way that connects to his deepest longings, fears, and pain. Now, Monroe is a character who's prone to extreme emotional responses. So let's use her as an example. Monroe does not like to be touched. The reason for this is clearly established, and it directly connects to her personal history. So when Monroe sees someone else being inappropriately touched or harmed, it might, depending on the circumstances, anger her. It might push her to respond, but that response will never come with the same extreme emotional reaction that it would have if the person had touched her. So in other words, Monroe is in a perpetual state of reacting to something, but the extreme reactions are triggered by a specific, consistent thing that directly connects to her deepest fears and pain. She doesn't fly off the handle and have what appears to be a psychotic response to everything that upsets her. It's specific things. But with Reggie, because the personal issues are never explored, there's no real clear reason for why he's going off. We just see him go from zero to nuclear and then watch him try and calm himself down with a lot of deep breathing. So to build consistency into his character in terms of how he responds to things that upsets him, we need to understand why that thing is upsetting him and how it personally connects to him. And this is especially true for any response that goes extreme and beyond what would be considered an appropriate or measured response from a low-key, slow-to-anger, in-control-of-himself man. So a key takeaway from that, because I didn't highlight it there, is that what would be consistent to the character is also situational. So depending on what type of character you have, how that character emotionally responds to things is going to be different than to other characters because we're dealing with the approximation of a real life human being here. We have to treat their responses like a real life human being. And when we break with that pattern, we break with what seems to be appropriate, we inadvertently create a character that is repellent to the reader. It doesn't matter how awesome they are as a character. When they start breaking with these expected patterns, 
and their behavior starts to become unpredictable or inconsistent, we immediately withdraw because our little primal animal brains there are going danger, danger, back away. That was the big one, right? Um, there are two more to go into that I feel are also applicable on a, on a general sense. And we are going to get into those next week. It's gone on too long here. So we will continue this and I'll be back in your ear. <laughs> I like the way you said that. She will be back in your ear again next Tuesday and I'll be here too. Well, thanks yeah, for listening. Steve, Steve's going to be a really big part of the whole fact that we're back in your ear next Tuesday. So yes, thanks for listening guys. 